Well, good afternoon. This is Don Schwer, and I want to welcome you to our podcast where top executives in healthcare share their personal stories and their leadership strategies. And uh, today I'd like to welcome Jim Fitzgerald to our, our call. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have Jim join us. Jim is currently the Chief Executive Officer of Flexan Corporation. Jim, uh, thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, Don, thanks for including me. I know you've got a storied healthcare career, both on public and in private equity. Uh, not only are you the CEO of Flexan today, but prior to that, you were the Chief Operating Officer at ITXM, and also on a public company basis, the EVP of Cardinal Health and President uh, within Allegiance Healthcare. And at the time, if I remember correctly, you were one of the youngest region presidents for that organization. So you've got uh, quite a healthcare background. And uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more in depth. But I want to take you back a little bit, uh, recognizing you're in the healthcare industry, and kind of ask you where that all began. What, what prompted you to get into healthcare? What kind of shaped the aspirations uh, as you began the business? Yeah, well, Don, I think it's um, it's always fun to think about kind of what influencers existed in your life and uh, to look back on some of them, um, in part, as many of us are in the process of raising our own families now and, and probably applying some of those same influences to our own kids as they go forward. And so I'll start with with exactly that. My, my parents were a big influence on my life, both in terms of education and profession, Um from a profession standpoint, my mom is a registered nurse, and so our family was always um, heavily involved in the in the healthcare sector. Just from from watching her go out and practice medicine as a as a registered nurse for years, she ultimately retired from that um, to be a full time mom. But I think, as you as you might expect, especially with somebody in that profession, it was always a goal or a dream of hers that maybe one of her kids would grow up to be a doctor or a surgeon. So we, we stayed as a family very aware of the, the healthcare space in total. Um, and uh, as I started to look at my professional career, it wasn't until probably maybe after my freshman year of college that I really committed myself to go down the business route and not the medical school route. Um, had the good fortune of having four good years at, at, uh, at Notre Dame and, and ultimately landing my first job with Baxter Healthcare, which was able to kind of come full circle back into the healthcare space. So really strong influence from my mom and her values on taking care of people and, and the value of medicine. And, and, uh, and that's stuck with me today. Where did you begin with Baxter? What was your first job, Jim? And uh, uh, did that really set the direction that you wanted? Uh, or did you make some moves that uh, got you back into a path you wanted? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it definitely set me up right from the start in the direction that I wanted to go. So my very first role was as a hospital supply sales representative covering a territory in the city of Chicago. And that division inside of um, the big Baxter corporation at the time, that division was, was uniquely responsible for representing all of the other divisions. So it was really generalist supporting a bunch of specialists. And so our job was to work with a number of the key stakeholders throughout the hospital, starting, of course, with purchasing and supply chain, and really help them on a daily basis determine whether or not Baxter had any products or services that would help them solve their problems. So it was a strong account management role, and uh, I spent, you know, 80% of my work week in the hospital 
working with clinicians, looking for products and solutions for them, uh, oftentimes actually watching them interact with patients and, uh, and then just helping to be a problem solver on their behalf. So that, that um, introduction into the healthcare system professionally captured my interest. I felt like we were playing a really critical role in assisting patient care, obviously not delivering it. And from that point, I've been able to stay very connected in the healthcare industry, whether it was the, the couple of the roles that I had with Baxter at the time or spending a few years in the not-for-profit space with blood transfusion, and then ultimately in the role that I'm in now where we're assisting some of the major medical device companies worldwide in their efforts to produce uh, life-saving medical devices. You know, outside of the sales representative position with Baxter that you had, are there any other positions that um, stood out to you prior to the position you've got now that kind of helped you as it relates to your managerial capabilities? Well, uh, for me, I think one of the, probably one of the most pivotal positions that I had was the first time I was um, actually given responsibility as a manager. So I spent five years in my sales role as an individual contributor. I uh, was really proud of the fact that it was still a very team-based selling environment, but uh, you know, day in and day out, it was, it was uh, you know, an individual responsibility to help support your accounts. And then I transitioned into um, my first position in-house, uh, helping to run our pricing department that quickly expanded to have both pricing and customer service in a relatively short amount of time. And when I think back to that role, um, what I what I realized pretty quickly was how important managers and supervisors are for so many employees that come to work every day. And that importance was largely a function of really taking the time to understand who was on your team. Um, people come to work for a variety of reasons. They expect to get a variety of things out of that relationship with their employer and with their manager. And, um, you know, as I, as I went into the job curious about whether I would be good at it, I think I found out pretty quickly that I was not as prepared as I needed to be for all of the things that a manager should be expected to do well. But I committed myself to learning how to do that well, to learning how to listen and support and advise and direct and, and coach, um, and, uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was certainly a, a job that I still refer back to today um, as I think about h- how you can ensure that you're fostering an environment of teamwork and success, but not overlooking each of the individual people that are on your team and each of the individual uh, needs that they have as they come to work every day. You know, people that know you, uh, Jim, and I'm one of them, I see you as a really um, strong leader, but one that uh, leads with humility, that um, really doesn't take the glow from your employee, wants to ensure that you're supportive of your employees, but also uh, to the greater team. And um, I'm sure that you learned a lot of that through your different career path and positions you took, but were there any other examples that um, helped you as it related to that type of style, that managerial style? What kind of set the basis for you on that? Yeah, um, you know, know, uh, it's a really good question. I appreciate you asking it. Um, I think that I think there's a really important quality in life. And I think that that quality certainly translates as well into leaders that I've come to respect over the years. And it's it's about self-awareness. And 
And um, I think part of self-awareness is being willing to acknowledge and admit where you've got your own faults and deficiencies. And so I think in every role, and especially when you get a chance to progress in your career, and when you're taking new assignments and, and having to recognize that there's growth and learning that you need to do, self-awareness should be one of the things that, that is also a, an outcome of those, those professional challenges. Um, recognizing that you need to ask others for help, that you, that you may not have all of the answers and you need to learn how to acquire the skills um, that will be necessary for you to be successful. And I think that's the great thing about uh, my career and, and a lot of the careers that I've been able to be a part of and people that I've had to work with, the opportunity to work with is to, is to watch that, uh, you know, I think it gets assigned the word maturation. That, that's probably a, a good word to use, but, but for me, it's just about watching that growth, watching that, that individual growth. Um, when I think back about people that may have fostered some of that, uh, the humility that I, that I appreciate you acknowledging, but it's really about a level of respect for others. And um, there's no greater example of that in my life than my dad. Um, so a bit of a story quickly to emphasize that point. While I was in college, I, my father worked in an industrial chemicals company and he had a commercial role in sales and marketing. And the, the front office was attached to the manufacturing plant. And one summer, I took a job in the manufacturing plant. Uh, I was really excited about it, actually, to get a chance to learn a little bit more about what it was like to be on a production line and in a manufacturing environment. Um, I didn't take the time to tell people who my dad was. I just wanted to go in and do the job and didn't really want any special treatment or, or uh, any criticism about you know, kind of how I had gotten that role. And so I got to know the production staff pretty well. Um, but there was a particular encounter when my dad came into a break room one day. And, uh, of course, he was working in the front office and at the time in business attire. And he acknowledged a few of the production staff that were in the break room with him. And it was a mid-sized company, um, certainly small enough that you could you could have an opportunity to meet people and know people and develop relationships, but large enough that, that uh, certainly it would also be easy to focus on your part of the business and, and not, uh, and not other parts of the business. And, um, my dad came in and acknowledged a few of the, the guys that were in the break room at the time and then went out and left, didn't say anything to me, um, because he knew that we were, you know, just kind of letting me do my thing. And one of the, one of the folks that I was working with kind of leaned over, not knowing it was my dad and said, that guy's one of the few suits that gets it. And most people up there think they're better than us but he doesn't. And, um, you know, that was, that was true to our value system anyway, and our beliefs as a family and my belief as an individual, but it crystallized for me the, the um, impressions that you can leave upon people, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And my, my dad didn't know that that gentleman was forming that opinion or say that to me, but I certainly kept that with me um, as a reminder that, at any point in our careers, at any in any role that we're interacting with in an organization, you have a chance to leave an impression, and it's a choice that you're given, and you have a, the choice of making that a favorable or unfavorable impression. And I've tried to make it one of my habits, one of my life habits, to be sure that I'm leaving favorable impressions with people by showing a genuine interest in who they are. Well, on that you have Jim, and I think that. Um what uh, comes out of that is a great deal of trust, confidence, loyalty from your team. 
I know now that um, as a CEO of Flexan, kind of changing gears a little bit, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Flexan as an organization, what they do in medical devices and uh, uh, what you're involved with. I'd be glad to. Um, so we're a business of about 825 employees uh, worldwide, a little over 500 in the U.S. and another 325 based in Suzhou, China, which is about two hours outside of Shanghai. Um, our business model is to provide custom contract manufacturing services. About 90% of the business supports uh, the medical device space today. The other 10% uh, supports some other specialty industries like aerospace and agriculture and um, defense. Uh, it's a business that was founded in the 1940s by uh, three brothers and uh, and back in 2015, the second generation owners of the business ended up selling it to a private equity organization based here in the Chicagoland area. And shortly after the acquisition, they brought me on board. Um, and what we specialize in is within that custom nature is, is trying to develop uh, custom products and manufacturing solutions for primarily polymer-based materials, so plastics and rubbers. Uh, what is exciting for me and what we cer certainly share as an enthusiasm across the business is that 100% of the work that we do is to create a custom component or device for someone else. So what that means is you'll never see a Flexan labeled product anywhere on the shelves. You can't buy a Flexan designed product. But instead, uh, there are over 2,000 components and devices that exist in a variety of industries that we've played a very direct role in helping to develop that custom manufacturing solution. And the reason why it's an exciting business model, I think, is it, it really reinforces what I shared earlier, which is the role you can play in helping others. Um, customers partner with us because they need a custom developed solution. And we've got a team of people that embrace that challenge and and spend every day working to deliver the highest quality product they can at the most competitive price they can and take pride in knowing that at some point some other major brand name is going to be on that product, but they, they know that they've been heavily involved in that. And whether those are pacemakers or hearing aids or hydrocephalus shunts or water filtration systems, um, our team is, uh, is a very proud organization proud from the standpoint of knowing that we're enabling other companies to be successful through our own efforts. I can assume that um, you've experienced the same challenges that other organizations have this year with uh, COVID and whatnot. How do you keep your employees engaged through something like this? And, and what type of challenges did it pose for you? Well, I think our challenges were a lot like most other companies. And it starts, uh, if you kind of turn back the clock, from the very beginning, I think the biggest challenge from the outset was uncertainty. And we understood that we weren't going to have answers that any of our employees or our customers needed any quicker than they might. But what we could commit to was the highest level of communication and transparency possible. So from the beginning, we tried to provide levels of assurance to both our customers um, who designated us as essential in over 40 letters. So we knew that they needed us to stay open so that they could keep their manufacturing lines open, particularly for the healthcare companies that were going to play a really critical role in, in the global efforts to defeat the virus. Um, 
but also with our employees. And transparency and communication was our theme from the beginning, where we assured our employees that we would not ask them to come to work if we didn't have the fullest confidence that every precaution possible had been taken to keep them safe while they were at work. And we demonstrated that through our actions as well. So not only did they see evidence of investments in, in the business through additional safety related items or us distributing PPE for them to take home for their family, um, facility changes that we made, flexibility in their work schedules. But they, they also saw us live true to the fact that the business was extremely important. We needed to find a way to support our customers in their greatest time of need. But we were going to do that with a balance for their own wellness and safety. And on several occasions, we actually were um, unable to open the business because we couldn't fulfill that commitment of assurance that the building was safe. And so they saw evidence of that balance of what would have historically been viewed as just business results, but what people quickly came to recognize was business continuity, both for us and our customers. But they never were able to see us. Uh, at least, uh, I think in their mind, demonstrate that one priority was more important than the other. And and uh, and when we had to close the business for a couple of days, we quickly communicated to customers what our recovery plans were going to be, instituted facility cleaning actions or other steps that we needed to take, and then reopened with the same level of assurance that uh, that we felt was our obligation as a responsible employer and as a responsible supplier. Were you able to retain a majority of your employee? employees throughout this pandemic? And, and my second question to that is, uh, were you able to hit the objectives that you had as an organization? Yeah, well, I think um, on the retention side, we, we were very fortunate. So we did not experience some of the dramatic shutdowns that many other companies experienced. And, and some of that's just the good fortune of being in the right industry at the right time. Um, so we did have some work slowdown. Uh, that we had to manage through as elective procedures took a dip, you know, certainly through April and May, but it, but more than 60% of the work that we do is on non-elective medical devices anyway. And that sort of kept all of our, our facilities up and running mm-hmm. uh, in addition to supporting some project work that we had to do for ventilators and, and, and test swabs. Um, so, so we represented a level of stability and security of employment that uh, that I think was beneficial for us as an organization, but certainly beneficial for our employees. So while we did have a couple small um, episodes of furloughing employees for a couple weeks at a time, if there were certain production lines that were going to be um, shut down, um, for the most part, our employees were able to feel confident that that we were a place that they would continue to come to work. So on the retention side, we did not see a lot of lost employees. Um, A different answer to that question would also be that uh, we actually saw our level of engagement as we run engagement scores, engagement tests every year. We did a pulse survey in the summer and then we did our full engagement survey this fall. And um, we actually saw our engagement scores increase this year, uh, just as they had in every other year, but our largest increase in the five years that I've been with Flexan. And I think that, Don, I think that's a reflection of your question in a slightly different way. I think our employees recognize Flexan as a place of stability and security in a time of uncertainty. And, uh, and I think that they supported each other 
uh, not just management, not just the Flexan company, but they supported each other. And, uh, and I believe that there is a mutual commitment to keeping the workplace safe that starts with your own wellness and your own honesty and your own effort to come to work and your ability to rely on others to do the same. And, uh, and all of those factors contributed to us not seeing, you know, any, any unique loss of uh, employees over this, over that period of time. Yeah. Congratulations. A testament though, yeah, of your leadership. You. Um, Jim, you've, you've had the ability now to work for, I, I guess I wouldn't call Flexan a small organization, but it's smaller than some of the public companies you've been involved with. If you take a look between the small and big organizations, what are the differences and uh, what did you learn about uh, your current organization, if you will, that uh, might be? Important? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there are certainly a few and uh, you know, I like the way that my career has played out. I like the fact that I had a chance to start with a great organization like Baxter and progress with Cardinal and a, and a, in a large publicly traded company because those large companies have the ability to provide some, some things that smaller companies struggle to do just based on the number of resources. So I think you see a lot of formality and I think that there's strength in formality like formal training programs, like formal employee development programs, like formal career progression plans and succession planning and business planning. Um, and some of the, some of the things that I was able to acquire in the beginning of my career in those larger companies have translated into um, my ability to bring success to the smaller companies because um, s- simply because I had the good fortune of having some of those fundamentals um, provided to me, um, which is one of the bigger challenges in a smaller organization. And as I look at uh, what our 800 and some odd employees, 825 count on us to bring, uh, we have to figure out how to do it differently than the big organizations do. We have to figure out how to still be committed to employee training without maybe the, the ability to afford a full training and development program. So as an example, we're using some online services today and, and creating some self-training models. Um, we were awarded a training grant a few years ago to help invest in workforce development. So, you know, one of the things that I think is you get a little bit more creative. There's the sort of the proverbial you know, are you willing to take the trash out kind of stories in smaller businesses? And I think there's some truth to that because because just the availability of resources by design is going to be a little different. Now, the benefits that I have found in the course of um, my progression from larger to smaller um, have been have been tremendous. And I'll start with the idea that in a smaller organization, there's the benefit of having, I think, more naturally broader visibility to what's occurring across the organization. So in bigger businesses, you may tend to be department focused or business unit focused or area or region focused. Um, and that's a very large amount of focus. In a smaller business, I think it allows um, certainly people that, that take advantage of it with vision and perspective to see more. Um, with that, you also, I think, get access to a lot more. So uh, for example, in our Internship programs where we invest in employee development, it's a lot easier for us to do rotations with our interns and introduce them to all of the different departments and all of the different functions and to bounce from interacting with a CFO to a VP of quality to a, to a VP of marketing or operations. Um, when we do that with our interns, it's what we do every day. So I think that in the smaller businesses, the trade-off is 
some of those resources may not be there by design, but they're, they're there by commitment. And we work really hard to ensure that our smaller business is still functioning like a larger business. Um, one of the other benefits that's often talked about, and I would, and I would say has been, you know, certainly something that I've enjoyed is it does feel as though it is easier to move faster in smaller businesses. Now that speed comes with the risk that in smaller businesses, there can be more consequences for decisions, both good or bad. And they can, they can flow through an organization a lot quicker, um, which I think is, it, it builds some of that excitement and that thrill and the enthusiasm for attracting talented people and encouraging them to come be a part of our organization and inviting them to really recognize that their ownership for the strategy is going to translate probably in actionable outcomes that they, they may see firsthand a lot quicker than they're used to seeing if they came from larger businesses like I did. Did the, um, the different things that you've done within Flexian, employee engagement, leadership strategies, did that lead to a new culture? Or are you just, in effect, strengthening the culture that was already residing there? Yeah, it's, um, I, I would say that it's a new culture. And I think, you know, in many organizations, culture is something that has to continually evolve and redefine itself. So in fairness to the idea that it's new, that's not, um, that's not to be offensive to the culture that I inherited when I got there because I think the company fundamentally had a great culture. It was a culture that that you would probably describe as being very value-driven and very family-oriented like you might expect to find. And one of the things, because we were owned by private equity that was going to be an important transition in our culture was the need to be a little bit more results-focused. Um we really have three key stakeholders like any business does. And one is our shareholders and one of our employees and one of our customers in a privately run family business, that shareholder stakeholder um, may or may not be as um, probably as dominant in the strategy as it will be in, in a private equity model. And I, and that's not something to be disappointed at. I've actually found that when we embedded the idea of, being owned by an organization that wanted to make investments in us and wanted to help accelerate a growth strategy that it invited a lot of enthusiastic participation across the business. Mm -hmm. What our culture needed to do was to embrace the idea that there was going to be a rapid acceleration of a growth strategy and it was going to encourage risk taking, but it was also going to, it was also going to invite a, a need to be more decisive um, and that, that did require a little bit of a change uh, than, than where we were before. But what it also allowed us to do was to use accountability as a carrot because I, I think that the business had already had a great foundation of people that wanted to take ownership for things and wanted to be responsible for an outcome and wanted to be measured on their ability to deliver to that. And all we did is just sort of put some some uh, accelerant on that flame already and allowed the organization to grow because of the talent people that we had and, and some of the other ones we've been able to attract. So our culture today is, I think, a reflection of that. It's a culture that we really love the word pride. I personally love the word pride. Uh, and the reason that I like the word is I think in order to be proud of something, it has to be meaningful, whatever that is, the accomplishments of your kids, 
the accomplishments of your business, your own personal accomplishments. And generally, I think people are prouder of the things that are harder to achieve. So we've really thrived as an organization focused on flex and pride, proud of the diversity and inclusion of the business today, proud of the accomplishments that we've that we've had so far, but I think proud of the way that we're that we're still looking to figure out what else is out there. What else are we capable of doing? How high can that bar be that we can still achieve? And, uh, and, our, and our culture just reflects that entrepreneurial enthusiasm for success without ever being willing to compromise the value of our employees and the, um, you know, the relationship they're, they're looking for in their employment with Lexan. That's a tremendous charter. And Jim is as in really in a heavy lift, but one that you've shown can be successful. Um, as I take a look at the uh, time we've got, as we wind down a little bit, I'd like to shift gears a little bit on you. And as you look at all the different positions you've had, and you've had a number of very successful top leadership positions, are there any attributes that you would point to that really had helped you? Uh, and if you know you had another individual that would like to follow the career path that uh, that you've done and accomplished, what would you tell that individual? Boy, um, you know, I think, I, I think I'll start with what, what I would tell the individual. Um, and then I'll, then I'll sort of relay that back to how I think it's played out for me. But I think I would start by saying, be flexible. I think when I look back on the opportunities that have been afforded to me throughout my career, in just about every case, Don, that opportunity the path to that opportunity wasn't clear. And in many cases, that path actually just sort of developed as opposed to being, you know, kind of rolled out to me. And so from the flexibility side, um, the reason that I was able to move into some of those positions was because I had accepted responsibilities. I had taken challenges. I had listened to the advice of other people. And I didn't view it as, only having one clear way to get there, whether that's going back and getting additional education or taking assignments that are a little bit obscure relative to your job responsibilities. Uh, I think the key to professional growth is the growth side of professional growth. And growth comes through challenges. Growth comes through some setbacks. Um, Growth comes through a willingness to say, I think there's more than what I know and can do right now. And I look back on my career and there are a couple career decisions that I made. Um, one of the most important ones was my, was I talked about earlier, that opportunity to be a manager of people for the very first time. And it was hard and I wasn't ready for it, but it taught me an awful lot about myself in a way that it allowed me to then be able to kind of help others. So my first piece, my first piece of advice would be flexible and right along with that would be to be patient to know that things aren't always going to go the way you want them to go um, and to not let that discourage you from continuing to have long-term goals of what you want to accomplish. And I wouldn't focus on titles in those long-term goals. I would focus on personal, professional accomplishments, the kinds of things that you want to be a part of and the amount of effort that you're willing to put into those accomplishments um, that I think is, is critically important. And then the last, um, maybe a little bit more of a sort of some practical advice is never, ever lose sight of the benefit of using data 
as a contributor to your ability to make decisions. I think at the end of the day, really good people, really good decision makers have the ability to balance both the use of data and information with gut and intuition. And along the way, if you look, if I've looked back in my career and see people that I think were wildly successful, they all demonstrated an ability to do that. By comparison, people that I've seen get paralyzed at different points that want to rely exclusively on data and don't have an ability to trust their instinct or their gut seem to slow the pace of progression in their own professional development. And the same way people that don't want to be data-driven think they have all the answers, think that they can figure it out can have a tendency to be a little bit reckless and maybe subject themselves to some bad decisions that could have been avoided with a little bit more of a data-driven approach. So those would be my three, flexibility, patience, and data. And uh, I think the most important, which hopefully is clear in, in, uh, in the conversation we've had here, is make sure you're having fun. That's a good one. And fun doesn't mean that you're being crazy. Fun just means that you're not only enjoying what you're doing, but you're taking the opportunity along the way to help others do the same. Absolutely. Jim, those are excellent words of advice. And um, your impressive career that you've done really is a testament to uh, the leadership strategies that you've utilized throughout. And uh, I want to thank you again for all the time that you took uh, today. I think that uh, it was a great conversation. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And um, I wish you much success, much continued success with Flexan and beyond. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to maybe do this again. Well, I would appreciate that a lot, Don. And I thank you for including me as well. This is a great series. You and I have had a chance to know each other for a number of years and the value you're bringing to other people by not only offering this forum up for people to listen to, but to just even take the time to connect and ask questions like this. It's just one more opportunity to be a little bit reflective on uh, on our own careers and I think there's personal growth from that as well. So thanks for including me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Jim, and have a good night. You too. And that concludes our interview with Jim Fitzgerald, Chief Executive Officer of Flexan Corporation. Thanks for joining me.